0: Well, this is my first time to speak to you in the new year, and I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. Did you? Yes, Amen. We did at our house, and uh, certainly last week we had the privilege of enjoying the ministry of Dave Reaver. Did you enjoy, Brother Dave? Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah. Today, I'm going to share with you something that is not so much a technical message, so to speak, but it's really a an expression more of my heart, and. Um, I know that makes my family nervous because that means I'll probably talk too long, but um, uh, nonetheless, it's here we are at the first of the year, and I uh, I have just some things in my heart I would like to ex- express to you. I was in Nashville most of this week working on a recording project. I still do that, not as much as I used to, but I still do it some, and it was a large um, Christmas uh, project for next year for 2014. Publishing companies tend to work about a year in advance. It takes them that long to get everything ready to be Marketed and put out and do all the stuff they do. My job is just to put the notes on the page. It was three degrees in Nashville this week. My goodness, it was cold. I was longing for Texas. <clears throat> but I was, um, I was. It was in the middle of an orchestra day. It had a very large orchestra at a very fine studio there, and um, they had been on their ten-minute union break, and they were about to come back. And I'm standing in the control room, and I'm looking out. You know, gathering my thoughts about how I'm going to approach this next thing I'm going to do. And my cell phone goes off, and uh, it's a text message. It's from Becky. And it, I wish I'd kept it. I, I think I've got it memorized. It went like this. She said, so S-O-O-O-O-O-O, so depressed, and several exclamation points. And I couldn't imagine what that was. She said, I have just learned that they have discontinued my peanut butter cookies at Panera. Now, folks, that's a problem. (laughs) By the way, when you came in my office this morning and were rooting around in your purse and you said, oh, I've got a cookie in here. Was that from Panera? It was. (laughs) So anyway, you know, trying to be a a good husband, I wrote back and I was kind of in a hurry. I had to be quick because, you know, it had something to do. And uh, I wrote back and I said, (laughs) I said, I'm so sorry, period. I'll pray, period. But a quick response came back because somehow that did not seem to, I think she got, I got the sense that she didn't think I felt the the intensity of the anguish (laughs) that she was feeling over this. And so she asked for something more than just that. She said, you need to fast and pray. Now, for just a moment, I had a little challenge reconciling fasting with dealing with peanut butter cookies, but nonetheless, that's what it was. She was basically saying, buddy, you need to take this to the next level. It's time to raise the bar, was basically what she was saying to me. We got to raise the bar because this problem is big, and we've got to fix this somehow. Now, please, whatever you do, don't get me in trouble. Don't send her baskets of peanut butter cookies. She'll be so mad at me if you, if you send her a bunches of peanut butter cookies. Now, me, on the other hand, I won't be offended at all. <laughs> and my cookie of choice is chocolate chip with nuts. Okay, just leaving it there. <clears throat> I hope Verlin Bridges is in the house today. Honey, it's been, you're overdue. It's been way too long, but I'll leave that alone. Also, while there in Nashville this week, I had a conversation that just sort of lingered with me. <clears throat> For a while, have you ever had those conversations, you have them, and then you think about them a lot afterwards, I was with, um, had just a moment, there was something else going on, did not require my undivided attention, and so one of the fine rhythm players and I, I man, I, I, I respect all of them, they're, they're just phenomenal musicians, and I respect him so highly, and I was talking with him about, uh, actually, I was thanking him, because I, I'm always very grateful, these rhythm guys that I hire there, rhythm is piano, drums, bass, guitar, we do that first, and they're just such phenomenal, world-class musicians. And I said, you know, you, you guys take my little arrangements that I just created in my little office at home, and I bring them here, and you make them so much more than they ever should be, than they, more than they deserve to be. You heal all my little problems with them, and, and you just take them far, far beyond. And you do it immediately. These guys that I get the privilege of working with have the ability of just, of, they just can take it to the highest level, and they know how to get there right now it's just it's amazing how they do that and he thanked me and he said he said that's, that's kind of you to say that he said but you know Dan there were guys before us who set the bar so high and he began listing names and you know being involved in Christian music for the last uh, millennium I, I saw the records that came out records are these things we used to have they're like this big they're round I'll show you one Sheridan when we get home okay they're like this <clears throat> When all the records came out, there you know there weren't that many that came out in Christian music, so we knew every one that came out, and I would look at the back and I would see the names of who played on this and who played on that, and and uh, you know, and I thought, oh man, they're just monster players. They're just you know, we have these phrases in the music business. Oh, he's a freak of nature. He's a beast. He's whatever. It's all these things. Those are really high compliments. It doesn't sound like it, but they're really high compliments. And I would see these names. I've been privileged to meet a couple of them and maybe work with one or two of them over the years. But they were the guys who were sort of the reigning kings of their instrument and the first call guys um, like in the 80s, late, late 70s, 80s. And then this other team kind of came over and he says, those guys, and he listed who they were, when they moved to town from wherever they came from, and Nashville does tend to attract the best of the best, and they all go there, and there's work there for them, and then there's the best of the best of the best of the best that sort of surface to the top because it's not only their musicianship, it's their work ethic, it's their instinct, it's all kinds of things that make them what they are. And he said, they set the bar so high that anybody who came along after them would have to reach to absolutely the extreme of their limit to be able to make it or do anything at all. And so I, I understood what he meant by that, setting the bar high. So I left that conversation and I, you know, we hear that phrase all the time. They've set the bar, they've taken the bar, raised the bar. We hear that a lot. As I was coming away from that, saying, Lord, you know, what is it that you want me to share with the congregation on Sunday? This is a new year, folks. I think it's time, I think the Lord is saying to us, it's time to raise the bar. In all kinds of ways, it's time to raise the bar. The man who is my doctor and also my son, Shaler's doctor, he's a man who used to play baseball in the minor leagues. I think he was in the California League. He loves to talk baseball with Shaler because of Shaler's seven years spent in professional ball as an umpire. And Shaler found the doctor first and then took me to meet him, and so I went with my son one day and I listened basically as the two of them talked baseball while we were there and he said, you know, I thought I was pretty good when I w- and the guys on my team in the California League, I thought I was pretty good. We thought we were great until Ken Griffey Jr. showed up and then when he showed up, we all just kind of said, we don't know what we're doing because he took it and set the bar so high. We had to realize we weren't that good because he moved, he moved the bar up so very, very far I'm sure if I could speak to all of you individually about this today, you would be able to identify for me someone who has set the bar high for you, whether it's in sports, what you've done athletically, or in music, or whatever skill set you employ at work, or maybe in your family life, or in your general life management skills, or possibly it's in your walk with the Lord Jesus. Over the years, I've had many... um, Many young musicians come to me for advice or counsel, or they want me to critique them or help them in some way. And I can tell you, I've got two things I say to all of them because it applies to all of them. And that is this the first thing I say is, You're good, you need to get better. That's true of any musician I know, starting with me and going up from there. You're good, you need to get better. And that could be said of probably any. Feel that you're in, whatever it is that is your skill set that God has given you. You're good, you're in the journey, you're, you're in the game, you're there, you're good, you need to get better. And the second thing I always say to young musicians is this, if you're the best musician in your world, then you've stopped growing. If you know, It feels good to be the best in my little Pentecostal church that I was raised in in smaller towns, you know, nobody else could play the piano faster and louder than I could, Okay? I was fast and loud, and you know, and all of that, and you know, and everybody said, "Oh, that little Danny Smith, he can really play, rip that piano up, you know." And that was great, until I got exposed to people who were technically proficient and knew what they were doing, and then that suddenly exposed that I didn't know what I was doing. And so, what I'm saying to you is this: that anything that has ever happened to me musically is because I got exposed to somebody who was a lot better than I was. It feels good to be the king of the hill. And that satisfies your ego and your whatever. But I'm telling you, if you're the best in your field at what you do, you've stopped going. Until you are around someone who can set the bar and take it higher. And it seems to me like talking about raising the bar here is an appropriate thing to say here at the first of the year. It's Paul who says, I press on toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus, forgetting the things that are behind me. The other thing I want to say about this is that if you can recognize that someone has raised the bar for you, then you need to accept the responsibility that you are to raise the bar for someone coming after you. It's called mentoring. We talk a lot about it around here. The importance of if God has given you any measure of success, if he's given you any experience that you can draw from, it's important that you pass that on and you raise the bar for someone coming along after you. Now that's the positive side of it. But there's a negative side. And you've heard me talk about this. I've talked about it probably several times. The has heard it many, many times. When I think about this bar, this standard, it's something I call, I call because I got it from somebody else It wasn't original with me, the law of natural erosion. You've heard me say it before. And that is, if the bar is here and the standard is here, But you come along, and you hit it about right here, and nobody says anything, and it doesn't appear that you're going to have to pay any immediate consequences for it. Looks like you got by with it. And guess what? That standard just came right to here. Then we move along in life, and we go to the next place. And, And you come along, and we assume the standard's right here. It's natural to all of us. And then you come along, and you hit it about right here and nobody says anything, and it looks like you got by with it, it looks like there were no immediate consequences to pay, guess what? That bar goes here. It's the law of natural erosion until somebody comes along and says, that's not okay. That's not okay. The bar is up here. Now, I understand the tendency toward allowing that standard to slip. It's it's, it's probably built into all of us that we would rather take the, la- the path of least resistance and if we can put less effort into it and kind of get it done, get by with it, we'll do it. But the truth is, there's someone always saying to us, no, the standard is here and it's higher. I'm having the bar raised for me again as I once again look at that. Famous, probably the most well-known devotional book that's ever been published, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. How many of you have heard that book or read it or been involved in it? You know, if you're like me, you read it, I go, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. Why am I even here, you know? Because that takes, if you really absorb what's being said, it it just takes you to a whole different level. Well, the one who not only set the bar for us but made the bar or created the bar was the Lord Jesus. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. For just a few minutes, and then I want to share with you some a little bit of directional things for our fellowship as I get to the end of this, if you'll give me enough time to do that. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> time does not permit me to exegete the whole of the passage. Um, I'm sure I'm not qualified to do that, but I do want to consider some of these things that Jesus said as he was clearly raising the bar in that incredible Sermon on the Mount. He had just delivered the Beatitudes. He talked about being salt and light. He gives a teaching about the law, saying that he did not come to abolish the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. And of course, in everything that he's saying here, it's in in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, in everything that he's saying, he's raising the bar But in verse 21, it strikes me that he starts speaking in a language that's very clear about this raising of the bar, because he starts this pattern of saying, you have heard it said that this is okay, or that this is the law, this is the rule, this is the standard. But I say, it's something else. And it's not all easy to take, folks. And don't shoot the messenger, I'm just going to tell you what the book says, okay? You still love me? Yeah, it was kind of weak. Okay. (laughs) He's raising the bar. Matthew 5, 21. Let's deal with the subject of anger, okay? That ought to be fun. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, In other words, you you see the raising the bar? You've heard here where this was the standard. That's what you've been understood by the law. That's what you've lived by and thought that was okay. But Jesus says, but I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Now, this is the first example of many. We're not going to go through all of them. Time doesn't permit, and you can thank me for that later. But this is the first of many examples of the new standard which Jesus is giving us. The ancient law had laid it down. You shall not kill, Exodus 20. But Jesus lays it down that even anger against a brother is forbidden. And if you're like me, you say, Dan, how how do I do that? How How does that happen? Well, in the King James Version, it makes it very clear that the man who is condemned is the man who is angry with his brother without a cause. And this makes it clear that there are different kinds of anger. There's righteous indignation, we call it, or righteous anger. And then there's that which is selfish anger. And what Jesus is condemning here is selfish anger. But listen how far he takes it and how intense the challenge is. And, you know, sometimes I think we read things like this and we just kind of slide over them and act like that's not for me. But, folks, we have to look at it, it's in the book. I said it's in the book. He says it's not enough not to strike a man. The only thing that is enough is to not even wish to strike him, not to even have a hard feeling against him in your heart. I don't know about you, that's raising the bar, seriously raising the bar. And the Bible is clear in other places that anger is absolutely forbidden. The anger of man, said James, does not work the righteousness of God. Paul orders his people in Colossians to put off all anger, wrath, malice, and slander. So Jesus forever forbids the anger which broods, the anger which will not forget, the anger which refuses to be pacified, and the anger which seeks revenge. So as we face this new year, church, in our walk with Jesus, the challenge to us on this second Sunday of the new year is to say, am I going to allow Jesus to raise the bar for me? Because if we are to obey Jesus, all anger must be banished from life, and especially that anger which lingers too long. There is nothing healthy about allowing an anger that is seething inside of you, to linger too long. It will kill you. It will destroy you. You can try to rise above it. You may think you're not having to pay consequences now, but Jesus is saying to us, it's not to be part of the Christian. I feel the love in the room this morning. Since we had so much fun with that one, let's go on to another one he addresses. Let's talk about adultery. Chapter 5, verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say, you see see the bar, the raising of the bar, you've heard it was this, it's what you've understood the standard to be, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And here we have Jesus' second example of the new standard. The law in Exodus 20 had laid it down. You shall not commit adultery. But once again, Jesus is raising the bar and he lays it down that not only is the forbidden action, but also the forbidden thought is guilty in the sight of God. Now, let's understand as best we can what Jesus is saying here. He's not speaking of the natural, normal desire, which is part of the human instinct and the human nature. According to the literal meaning of the Greek, the man who is condemned is the man who looks at a woman with the deliberate intention of lusting after her. The man who is condemned is the man who deliberately uses his eyes to awaken his lust. The man who looks in such a way that passion is awakened and desire is deliberately stimulated. Let me take a slight sidebar here because people are always asking me, Dan, is this sin, is that sin, how far does it go? And to be honest, one of the subjects that comes up every once in a while is the subject of dancing, okay? I've even been asked if we could host a father-daughter dance here. I'm asked that. That's a question that's before me. If you grew up in the church in which I grew up, you know that dancing was a one-way ticket to hell, amen? And there was no turning back. (laughs) So if you did it, just be sure nobody saw you. You didn't do it in front of anybody, all right? But I want to be quick to remind you that dancing is a part of biblical celebration and rejoicing. David danced before the Lord. Miriam danced. When it comes to the dance, I have been taught that there are two questions that need to be answered. And the way these two questions are answered will help determine if dancing is sin for you or if it is not. What are the two questions? Number one is this, and you would have to answer this. What is it expressing? What is the dance expressing? And the second thing, the second question that would need to be answered is, what is it stimulating? what is it expressing and what is it stimulating and when you can answer that properly and if you're sure that is intact and you can say it before the lord jesus then you got one situation however it is very possible that you have to answer in a way that would not be pleasing to the lord i'm often asked as i said a moment ago what's what is sin how far does it go before it is sin For those times when possibly the Scripture is unclear to you. Because it doesn't address everything that we face. There are things that we can face that that it, it doesn't answer specifically the way we would like it to be answered. But the best definition of sin that I have seen came from the mother of John and Charles Wesley, Susanna Wesley. And she said this, If anything weakens your reasoning, impairs the tenderness of your conscience obscures the sense of God, your sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things. In short, if anything increases the authority and power of the flesh over the spirit, that to you becomes sin, however good it is in and of itself. I think that's a wonderful definition and a wonderful guide to go by. In other words, I was asked just a couple of weeks ago, Dan, do you think it'd be okay if I did this or if I was involved in this? And I said to that person, I said, you know, I can't say that I see anything intrinsically wrong with that. I just think that you need to be very much on guard. Be on guard for what? Has it lessened in any way your passion for Jesus? Just, you'll know. You may look one way to other people, but you know in the quiet of your own heart, has it lessened your passion for Jesus in any way? Well, the man whom Jesus condemns here is the man who deliberately uses his eyes to stimulate his desires. The man who finds a strange delight in the things which waken the desire for the forbidden. Let's look at one or two more, and then we'll close in just a bit. Let's go to Matthew five thirty-eight. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say... Do not resist an evil person. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer of the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it 2 miles. Now here is the characteristic ethic of the Christian life and the conduct which should distinguish the Christian from other men is not unfamiliar to you. You know this. Should I turn the other cheek? Jesus begins by citing the oldest law in the world, which is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That law actually has a name. It's called the lex talionis, and it may be described as the law of tit for tat, which we understand. Now, while some folks may criticize the law, there's something that should be noticed about it, and that is this. The lex talionis, that law of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, so far from being a savage and bloodthirsty law, it really, when you understand what was taking place, it was the beginning of mercy. Its original aim was definitely the limitation of vengeance. It was to keep vengeance from going too far. In the very earliest days, the vendetta and the blood feud were characteristic of tribal society. If if a man of one tribe injured the man of another tribe, then at once all the members of the tribe of the injured man were out to take vengeance on all the members of the tribe of the man who who had committed the injury. And the vengeance desired was nothing less than death. And so this law was put in place to keep things from getting worse than they actually were. However, Jesus takes it to a new level, and he raises the bar. Now that you understand the law and what it was saying. He says, retaliation, however controlled and restricted, has no place in the Christian life. He's raising the bar. I don't know if you're getting this this morning. Some of this feels almost impossible to us because of our human nature and these bodies that we live in and these hearts that we have and all of our tendency to protect ourselves and be selfish in that which we do. But the reality of it is this, church, as we go into this new year, The Lord is calling us to a higher level. He's calling us to a higher level. And I'm praying that those of you who have ears to ear, those of you who haven't tuned me out already, who haven't turned on the mute button, I pray that you're hearing what the Lord is saying to us. Whatever it is, and you know in the quiet of your own heart where he is taking you and he's calling you to a higher level. Well, there's plenty more that he says here. He raises the bar on the understanding of divorce. He speaks of how to love your enemies and how to pray for those who persecute you. But there's something here at the front of the next chapter, chapter 6, that I want us to allow to challenge us this morning before we go. And not only challenge us this morning, but challenge us as we move into this new year, as we allow the Lord to raise the bar for us. The first verse of this very next chapter, of chapter 6, says this, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will what? For you, for you will what? Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. I have a question to put before you. It's the same question I have to ask myself. And that question is this, and I hope you're listening. Do you want the credit or do you want the reward? Because you can't have both. Do you want the credit or do you want the reward? Because you can't have That question ought to be on our minds as we approach each situation of the new year. I hope that God will enable all of us, starting with me, all of us, when we approach those situations, when we are tempted to take the credit, to be asked that question, do I want the credit or do I want the reward? When you resolve in your heart and in your mind to go for the reward and not the credit, it will change what you do, how you do it, and why you do it. And yet the truth is, we all enjoy the spotlight in varying degrees. Some of you would say, oh, I'm not an upfront person. Well, I bet you are within your own circle of friends, because we all like to be admired, appreciated, and, and told, you know, we did well, and we would like to be thought of as good at something, and it validates us as a person. But the truth is, church, for all of us, this is as challenging to me as it is to you, it's time to raise the bar. And Jesus is saying it plain and simple. I think we can read this passage and sort of toss it aside. But I'm asking us to consider it as we move into this year. Sometimes it's true that obedience to God causes us to look less in the eyes of men, even those close around us. Sometimes to obey God means you'll be misunderstood by family and friends. And it will look like you're not getting the credit that you, would, that you think you deserve or that you would like to have. But if you're going for the reward, then you are walking in obedience to God and you have no issue with giving up the credit in the here and now. And I have to wonder how our, how our lives would be different when we decide to go for the reward and let go of the need for the credit now. When we do that, when we're willing to let go of the credit and go for the reward that will happen later, we will lose our tendency toward territorialism. It won't matter who did the work of the kingdom because it's Jesus and Jesus alone that deserves all the credit and all the praise. It won't matter who. It won't matter who's looking like they're having success if you look like you're not having as much, or even if it looks like you're failing and others are succeeding. Won't matter because you're going for the reward and not for their credit. There was an old shoemaker who once had wished to become a minister, but the way had never opened up for him. But he was the friend of a young divinity student, and when the lad one day was called to his first charge, the old man, the shoemaker, asked him for a favor. He asked to be allowed always to make his shoes so that he might feel the preacher was wearing his shoes in that pulpit into which he could never go himself. It's not always the person in the foreground who is doing the greatest work. Many a man who occupies a public position could not sustain it for one week without the help of the people behind him. There is no gift which cannot be used in the service of Christ. Many of his greatest servants are in the background unseen but essential to his cause. It's raising the bar. The Lord is calling us today, church, to raise the bar and take it to a new level. As it has happened at the beginning of each of the last three years, the Lord has dropped something in my heart for a direction for the year. I can't tell you, I, I, I can tell you that I've not sat around and said, oh my goodness, what am I going to say in January? No, it has not never happened like that. It's never been like that. But if I just have you look back for just a second, in January of 2011, Pastor Des retired and positioned this fellowship for transition to new leadership, and he did it. Wonderfully well. In January of 2012, two years ago, right now, I came before this fellowship with nothing but an indication from the Lord that we were to start a school of ministry and train the next generation coming up behind us. Had no money, didn't have a specific plan. I just had a word from the Lord, which, by the way, is all you ever need. And you you know the story. I'm not going to rehearse the whole thing again. Shortly thereafter, Southwestern Assemblies of God University asked if they could join with us and put an extension site on our campus, and that has happened. And then this fellowship gave generously toward the construction and completion, and you continue to do that. We're so grateful that that's happened. I still stand back in amazement because to date, some $550,000 has been given, and for that we give Jesus all the glory and all the credit and the praise. Come on. In January of 2013, just a year ago, this time last year, we came before the congregation with a nudge from the Lord that it was necessary for us to turn up the intensity on our prayer life, both as individuals and as a fellowship. And that certainly continues today because with what the Lord has in mind for us, it cannot be done without staying on our knees before Him. Church, we need the Lord. We need to be seeking the Lord. What was clear to me last year was that we had people in our fellowship at every possible level of prayer life. I knew that. I knew it was there. We have those who are diligent, faithful, and intense in their time of prayer. They wouldn't think of doing anything without calling on the name of the Lord, asking for his help, his strength, his direction, his guidance, his wisdom. We have those who pray in times of emergency. Oh, God, help. I was doing okay till Tuesday, and then the bottom dropped out. So would you help? We have those who simply pray at mealtime, thank you, Lord, for the food, amen. And then we have those who never lift their voice at all and yet call themselves Christian. And what I'm saying to you this morning, knowing that the Lord called us to intensify this last year, is wherever you are in that continuum, it's time to raise the bar, wherever you are. Many of you began to join us on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock for a time of prayer, corporate prayer. And it remains a delightful time together. I hope you'll join us tonight. We'll be there at 6. We've seen many incredible answers to prayer. get the opportunity to pray for our missionaries, pray for the school, the the daycare, the school of ministry and personal needs. It's a wonderful time and you need to be there. I know some of you cannot make it because your work schedule or, or regular travel schedule prohibits. And some of you have chosen to participate in other uh, smaller prayer groups that meet in the various times and around the fellowship throughout the week. I think they're all posted on the website. If not, I, I'm sure they are. Some of you may want to start your own prayer group, and that would be delightful. We'd love to know if you do that, if that's the push of your heart. But here's the thing that we cannot do. We cannot ignore the call to prayer. We are people who live by the book. We are people who are completely dependent upon the one who's giving us life and health and the very breath that we breathe. How dare we think that we can take one step, live one day, accomplish one thing without calling upon the name of the Lord. Well, we called for that last year, and many of you have responded. Came to the end of 2013. And again, I, I don't approach the last quarter of the year necessarily I, I, looking for what I'm going to say, but I will tell you that the Lord has just sort of, it's the way it's happened. That's all, all I can tell you. It's my testimony. It's the way it's happened. Came to the end of 2013, minding my own business, and yours and a few others. I was recalling some of what we had discovered about the book of Acts in the last few months. We spent a lot of Sundays in in the book of Acts. And what I sensed the Lord say to me was almost comical. He said, you know that word that you've had trouble saying every time you read it from the Scripture and every time you try to say it from the pulpit? Yes, Lord, I know exactly what word that is. I've, I've stumbled over it every time I've said it. A little embarrassed about that said, so, you know that word that you've had trouble say? Yeah, I know that. I know it very, very well. And I sense the Lord was asking me to really consider that word. Now, you can make of that whatever you want to make. But the Lord was saying, I want you to put some attention to that word. And the word is proliferate. I said it. <laughs> no applause, please. That would be embarrassing. As we go into this new year of 2014, I'm sensing that it's time for us to raise the bar on the proliferation of the gospel to our own community. It's time to raise the bar. I cannot tell you all of what that means because I don't know all of what that means. But I can tell you one thing that is strongly on my heart, and I'm going to go ahead and let it out this morning, because I've asked for a task force that's going to be helping us look at this. I think it is time for us to begin a Spanish service called Bethesda. <clears throat> We've made attempts to, you know, this service right now, as I speak at this moment, it's being translated. Um, I can't see that far. That might be Angel up there. Is that you, Angel? Perez is translating for me even at this moment. We do that. We've made little attempts here and there. We do everything we can to make... Um, make it comfortable for another language-speaking community to be a part of what we're doing. This has been on my heart for quite a while. And um, I was walking near the Christmas season. After meeting Becky at the mall, I was walking literally from Dillard's to the food court, okay? And the place was packed with people. And I happened to take notice in that walk from the store to the food court, I didn't hear one word of English. It was all Spanish. And I want to tell you, it was music to my ears, and It reminded me how large the Hispanic community is growing around us and how important it is that we not isolate ourselves or build ourselves into such a, such a situation that our demographic and those around us cannot hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to proliferate the gospel, church. I can't tell you how it will happen, I can't tell you when it will happen. I'm hoping sometime in 2014. But we're looking at the possibility because we believe this. It's time to raise the bar. As I close this morning, I'm going to tell you about three verses that I literally stumbled across this week that had impact on me. It's the first three verses of the eighth chapter of Luke. And they don't have it to project. But basically, here's what happened. And this just fortified so strongly what I'm feeling. Jesus decided to take a tour of nearby towns and villages to preach. The synagogues were no longer open to him. Instead of encountering receptivity to his message, what he was encountering was opposition. So he's taking this tour to begin to preach on the road and on the hillsides and on the lake shores. He took with him the 12 disciples, and then it says there was a group of women who followed him and gave their resources to support his ministry. Now, I could preach here for a while. I'm not going to, except to say it takes resources for a ministry to function. And there are people who will be faithful in giving of their tithes and offerings and living in obedience because they want to live a blessed life. They want God to give, to pour out his blessing upon them. It takes resources for ministries to function. It did in the time of Jesus, and it does today. I'll stop with it there. But what I want you to see is what I saw in this little tiny thing here of these three little verses. What a mixed company they were. There was Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven devils. Clearly, she'd had a past that was dark, not good, and a terrible thing. She'd come from really, really slum life, shall we say. And then there was Joanna is mentioned here in these first three verses of the eighth chapter of Luke. She was the wife of Chusa. Chusa was Herod's business manager. So this is a lady who has lived in the upper echelon. She shopped at Neiman's, okay? She knew where all the finest things were, and she knew what finery was in life. She was part of this group that's following Jesus. And there's another gal mentioned, and it says that there were even still some others. But the amazing thing is to find Mary Magdalene with her dark past and Joanna a lady of the court, in one company. And as I looked at this, literally yesterday is when I stumbled across it. As I looked at it, and everything that we've been reading in the book of Acts, and it's what you find in the Gospels, it reminds us that what Jesus can do, he's the one and only one that I know that can do it. He can enable the most diverse people to live together and do life together without in the least losing their own personalities or qualities, G.K. Chesterton writes about the text that we all know so well where it says the lion will lay down with the lamb. And I think most of us, when we read that, we make an assumption that when the lion lays down with the lamb, the lion becomes lamb-like. But the real issue is, can the lion lie down with the lamb and still retain his royal ferocity? There's nothing which the church needs more than to learn how to yoke in common harness the diverse temperaments and qualities of different people. Some of you are lions. Some of you are lambs. Lambs would rather go hang around with lambs. Lions would rather hang around with somebody they could eat. think about that. Only in Jesus can the lion lay down with the lamb and not lose his lion characteristics and qualities. He still is ferocious. He still is capable of eating anything he wants. But he's laying next to the lamb who can lose its fear of laying next to the lion and not lose its lamb-like qualities. That only happens in Jesus. And that only happens when a church is willing to come together to become multicultural, multigenerational. And if we are failing at this, it is our own fault because in Christ, it can be done and it has been done. So if you walked in here today and you decided nobody here looks like you, They're older, they're younger, they're from a different socioeconomic class, higher or lower. They don't have the same skin color as you, doesn't look like they were raised like you, you think you look different than everybody else, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing because we need you and you need us. That's what the kingdom of God, church, is all about, every tribe, tongue, and nation coming together under one common banner of Jesus Christ and his shed blood for our sins, no matter what color your skin is. I don't care if you're black, white, pink, purple, gray, it doesn't matter. I literally want to say, and I literally mean this, for the love of God, could we get past the color of our skin? time to raise the bar on our outreach to our community. Got to go beyond these walls. We have some things in mind of how possibly that can happen, and it excites me to my toes. The possibilities. It's time to raise the bar on our prayer life. It's time to raise the bar on our obedience to Christ and to the Word of the Lord and what He's telling us how we're to live. It's time to raise the bar on our daily walk with Him, and it's time to raise the bar all for the glory of Jesus. Stand with me, please. This message is for all of us today, starting with me. We're going to pray in just a moment, but in response to what we've shared today, I want us to sing together, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. How many of you by raised hands say, you know what? I really have made up my mind. I'm going to follow Jesus. Let me see your hand. How many of you want to say to me, I want the Lord to raise the bar in my life this year as I go into 2014. Come on. I want to go to places I've not been before. You know what? There's always another place to go in God. There's always, you may think that you're all that in a bag of chips. You know what? There's someplace else to go. I hate to be the one to tell you this, but you ain't all that. Neither am I. Got a lot to go. Got a long way to go. But God has been gracious to me so far. I've come by this far by faith, leaning on the Lord, trusting in His Holy Word, and He's never failed us yet. And He's going to continue to take us from glory to glory and from grace to grace. Bless the name of the Lord.